The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's sermon is the first half of the last message preached by Elder Buddy Abernathy on chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. He starts this message by reviewing what's gone before, and then he begins to take us down to the end of the chapter, which will lead us in to the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Join us today for the first half of this last sermon on the introduction to the book of Revelation as we learn that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his churches and holds their pastors in his hand. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
We want to continue tonight on the book of Revelation, but since it has been so long since we preached from it, I want to review some of the things that we've already spoken about because we need to understand these things as we soon begin addressing the circumstances at the seven churches to whom this uh, book was written. And furthermore, the more I've went over the things that we've already preached on, the more insight I believe the Lord has given me. So I'll bring out several points that I didn't bring out in the past. So if you wonder why we're going swiftly over the verses in the first part of this message, that's the reason why we've already tried to preach on it. And if you'd like to get the CDs or more easily go online, uh, I'll have more detail there. Let's begin tonight with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. We need to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord's day ought to be the entire day. You ought to plan your life as you as a young person get out on your own and get married and when you have children to make it your habit that Sunday is the Lord's day. While there may be other obligations that we can't control, we ought to set aside Sunday for the worship of God. And when we do that, it won't be a problem when someone needs to be visited or we need to do something else pertaining to the welfare of the church. Now, John says on the Lord's day, uh, he heard a trumpet. Now, a trumpet is often used to get the attention of people. I'm sure you recall in the Old Testament that the trumpet was used to prepare the people for battle. And the scripture says, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, that is a sound the people don't recognize or they don't associate it with a particular meaning, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? You know, I think about when uh, taps is played on the trumpet at a funeral and how that uh, just seems to, to uh, automatically cause you to get quiet and, and pay attention and give respect. So the trumpet is significant in many ways. The trumpet can represent... Uh, the gospel. But notice here, John says, I heard a, a, a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write, uh, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he lists those seven churches. Verse 12, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. This will be key as we look at the seven churches, and he will soon explain what those candlesticks represent. When I turned to see the voice, that's an interesting phrase, I turned to see the voice, but when he turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks 
one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, we'll see a few verses later that the golden candlesticks represent the seven churches. But the reason I want to go ahead and make that statement now is notice that it says in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man. Now it's one thing to say that Jesus is in the middle of the golden candlesticks. Think of a, 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 a circle made of seven golden candlesticks and in the middle of that circle is Jesus. That's what it would mean if he said Jesus was in the middle. But to say he's in the midst is to say that he's mingling among each of these churches among the members in whom he dwells who are referred to as the temple of God, as individuals. He says, His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Jesus sees through everything. You can't hide from the Lord. His vision pierces into every, every part of your mind and being. And his feet were like unto brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. Think of the roaring sound of the Niagara Falls. That's the voice of Jesus speaking not so much of, of loudness, but of great power. The voice is that of many waters. When he says his feet were like brass as if they burned in a furnace, perhaps that indicates his pure and perfect walk as the Son of God. Then he says, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, that is his facial appearance, was as the sun that shineth in his strength. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Did you know if you look at the sun... For just a few seconds, you can cause serious eye damage. Now, I remember I was foolish enough as a child to say, I'm going to see if I can look at the sun without closing my eyes. Thankfully, I didn't cause any eye damage that I know of. But I remember the few times I tried that, you can't look at the sun and your eyes stay open. Or if they do... Isn't it strange that the sun's so bright you can't see if you look at it? See, that's the way God is. You remember uh, the Lord said, I believe, to Moses that we can't look upon God and live. He's like the sun that shineth in His strength. And He says, He had in His right hand seven stars. Now, we're going to find out as we continue reading these seven stars are the angels of the churches, which I believe refers to the ministers or in particular the pastors of the churches. But let's consider just for a moment this 
concept of the Lord shining as the sun in his strength and the ministers being compared to stars and the churches being compared to candlesticks. The brightness of the sun overwhelms all other light, doesn't it? The reason you can't see the stars at night is because their light is overwhelmed by the light of the sun. That's a, a good way to illustrate God, isn't it? Amen. The brightness of the sun and His strength. You know, the Bible says, says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Man likes to be in the dark because his actions are not exposed. You know, people don't... People are much more apt to commit crimes or stealing or things like that at night. But in the brightness of the sun's strength, everything is exposed. But notice these uh, angels, which are the pastors, are likened unto stars. Now a star, from what I understand has great brightness like the sun, but they're so far away, that doesn't appear to be the case. Now I want you to think of this. A minister is bringing God's Word from far away. But the light you receive in the Gospel, when a minister is blessed to preach, though it's a light, from a country far away, it is no comparison between that light and the sun. Amen. See, you can, in, in a spiritual sense, look at the preacher. You can hear what he says, but his light doesn't blind you. You're not killed by the brightness of the preacher's light. You're able to receive light from a country far away. You know, I learned in school, I believe this is correct, that light travels 186,000 miles per second. So this is a message from a long way off because they talk about light years. <laughs> and that's incomprehensible, isn't it? In other words, how far light travels in a year, we can't fathom that. So this is news from a far country. You see, if we're in the presence of God, we don't need the light of the stars. His light overwhelms everything. You won't need a single preacher in heaven. Amen. Because the Son of God will be the light of that city. That's right. Amen. But aren't you glad now God has given us a lot of little lights Amen. where we can actually, you know, you can easily look at the stars. It doesn't bother your eyes at all. But notice this point. The churches are compared to seven golden candlesticks. A candlestick serves one purpose, to shed light. Right. The candlestick's not far away, is it? Right. The candlestick is of no value if it's far away. Right. If I'm on one end of McCool Road and 
Uh, I can see Sister Ashley's house and they light a candle out in the yard. That's not going to benefit me at all. A candle has to be among you. But oh, how beneficial that light is in the midst of darkness. Amen. You see what I'm, what I'm trying to describe to you? The church is like a candlestick that in, in a dark place serves a very significant purpose. Right. You won't need candlesticks in heaven, will you? You light a candle in the daytime, you can't tell whether you're even lit it. If you got your back turned to it, you won't be able to tell when somebody lights a candle if you're not looking at it. But a candlestick is a benefit right here among us, and it sheds significant light in, a, in an area of complete darkness, and that's how the church is in this world and in that church where that light is all around us. We have the light of the stars. We have good news from a far country. Amen. But you see in the daytime when the sun shineth in his strength, you don't need stars or candlesticks. Amen. And that's the way it'll be in heaven. That's right. Won't need preaching. You won't need the local church in heaven. That's right. Because what we thrive on here through the person of the Holy Ghost in our midst, will dominate heaven Amen. all the time. Amen. I know this is a timeless area, but you understand the point I'm making. Now notice this. Verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. That means, you know, they talk about robotic surgery today. That's old, that's old hat with Jesus. I mean, he can do microsurgery on every part of your mind, on every part of your being. Notice how this is described in Roman, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And by the way, most people in the religious world interpret this as the written word of God. But you keep in mind whenever you hear someone present it that way, that this is not the written word of God. This is the living word, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, and I believe it's uh, verse 12, notice this description. For the Word of God, keep in mind that two-edged sword. The Word of God is quick, that means it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Can you separate someone's soul and spirit? You can't even see anything about their spiritual being, can you? You can't see life. You can't, you can't even see that in someone. You can see the effects of it. But you can't see that being, that person, that soul, that spirit that occupies that physical body. The Lord can put that sharp two-edged sword and separate it any way He pleases. Uh, the Bible says there's, that all things are naked and open before Him with whom we have to do. Amen. You are wasting your time trying to hide your sins from the Lord. Amen. And you are following a foolish course. 
not to openly confess your sins. You say, well, the Lord sees them anyway, but the Bible says, and this identifies God's will, that we're to confess our sins. Yes, God sees your sins, but what pleases Him is when you acknowledge your sins. It's not a matter of informing God on anything. It's a matter of expressing submission to Him as you crucify the old man and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Verse 13 in Hebrews 4, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things, here's what I was quoting, I even didn't even remember that it was here. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Now go back to Revelation and look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, John didn't say when I saw him, I wrote a book about heaven. He didn't say when I saw him, I started... Uh, having seminars about my experience. That wasn't John's experience. He said, when I saw him, I fell down as dead. And John's not the only one that reacted that way. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and when he saw his train fill the temple, notice uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, after Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If you see God, and I, I understand that the Lord said, no man can see me as live. This is, this is a vision of God. This is not being in the actual presence of God in seeing Him. And that's what John had was a revelation, a vision, a disclosure. Revelation 1.18. Here's what Jesus said, or verse 17. When I saw Him, I fell down at His feet as dead, and He laid His right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. That's good words to hear from Jesus, isn't it? Yes, sir. Remember when he said, fear not little flock? Now a little flock, the picture you're to have in your mind is not of a dying church. But the Lord's church will always, in terms of numbers and the awareness of that church in the world will be totally insignificant compared to the religious world. You remember how the, in Jesus' day, His followers, there were many that quit following Him. You remember He turned to Peter and said, will ye also go away? I believe it was Peter or some of the apostles. And they said, Lord, where shall we go? Aren't you glad that's your feeling about it? Lord, where shall I go? You have the words of life or the words of eternal life. Fear not, the Lord says. 
He says that to us today when he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Lord's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. You know, in this kingdom, the Lord works in such a way that man receives no glory in being a part of it. You know, Jesus said in another place, I believe Brother Chris quoted this this morning, when he says, I thank thee, Heavenly Father. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus is thankful for. I thank thee, Lord, that thou hast uh, hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. You know, the Apostle Paul was a very highly educated man. He was a big shot, if you will, in the religious world. And he himself, after the Lord brought him down, said there are not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble that are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things to confound the mighty or to confound the world. Didn't say there weren't any. But as a general rule, the truth believers and followers of Jesus are the common people. You remember that expression where it says the common people heard him gladly. Not the college professors, not, the semin- not even the seminary professors. Man thinks he can design an organization where he can perpetuate truth and he can take credit for being responsible for perpetuating truth. And yet the places that are often used to train men to preach are the very places where they will deny what Brother Chris said this morning. They'll deny the virgin birth. You see, the Lord often confounds the wise and takes this little simple body that we call the church and preserves and perpetuates truth. John said, when I saw him, I fell down as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. I believe this was, this was a revelation he received. Most people believe near the uh, end of the first century. And so in John's lifetime, as he is getting this vision, Jesus says, I'm he that liveth. Though he was crucified and buried, he rose again. And he tells, he, he tells John some 60 years uh, after that event, I'm alive right now and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now, Men may have the keys of the kingdom of God. Let me just establish what I mean by that. Look at Matthew chapter 16. You know, the apostles had special authority that elders today do not have, but I'll not go into the detail of that right now. But notice in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, speaking to Peter, 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is heaven, speaking of the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen now. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now that in principle still applies to us today. In other words, God recognizes and honors the action of the church when it's done in harmony with his word. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.